carbon offsets, as good as they are, we view it a little bit like buying indulgences from the Catholic <laughs> Church in the Middle Ages. Uh, it's not <laughs> something that you can just do and claim that you're sustainable. I'm Jane Z, and this is Farm to Future, the podcast all about eating better for the planet. So I shop online. In fact, I buy stuff online all the time. Chances are you do as well. The fact is, buying stuff online is a reality in our day and age, and it's piling a lot of plastic into our landfills and water streams. For instance, the plastic packing tape they use for boxes, that stuff takes 500 years to biodegrade. I know, 500 years. And the polymailers that your books and your clothes come in, those things take a thousand years to degrade on their own. That's a ton of plastic that's staying on this earth for a long, long time, just to get stuff to your door. Now, George and Michael came to realize these things when they worked at ShipBob, the e-commerce fulfillment platform that allowed direct-to-consumer brands to set up a Squarespace and start selling stuff. After about eight years there, George co-founded Manifest Commerce, a supply chain company that puts sustainability at the forefront and Michael joined him. Today, we'll talk about how Manifest is choosing to tackle those waste and carbon emissions issues head-on. We'll also talk about what people get wrong about recycling, why carbon credits are not the perfect solution, and the promise of blockchain when it comes to sustainability. I had an awesome time chatting with these guys, and I hope you enjoy this episode. I hope you learn a thing or two as well. If you are new here, welcome. We talk about all things food and sustainability on this podcast, so be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify for new episodes every other week. And you can find me, Jane Z, on Instagram at farm.to.future. All right, on to the show. As we're heading into a recession, here's a way you can support local food systems and make money on your savings. It's called Steward. I had their founder, Dan Miller, on the show and was really impressed by how they support small-scale regenerative farms through flexible loans. Now here's the cool part. Steward allows you and me to chip into these loans with as little as 100 bucks. You can loan to specific projects or pool into a bigger fund and you get your money back plus up to 10% interest. To get started, check out gosteward.com. George and Michael from Manifest Commerce, so excited to have you guys. Excited to be here, Jane. Yeah, thanks for having us. I had an epiphany this morning where I was like, so you guys know Mary Poppins? Oh, yes. Big Disney fan. So... Jane and Michael are the kids, and George Banks is the dad. <laughs> We're the cast of Mary Poppins here. <laughs> oh God, this is this is scary. Remaking George, supply chain logistics for the 21st century. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Yeah, actually, really clever of you to connect those dots. With that out of the way, I would love if you could give listeners a little background about yourselves. You're both. I guess experts now in the world of supply chain logistics and e-commerce. So maybe a quick sketch of your work that you did at ShipBob and then what inspired you to get into sustainability. Yeah. So I've been in logistics for the better half of a decade prior to being part of the uh, co-founding team at ShipBob. I was an options on futures contracts trader 
at the Chicago Board of Trade, which now doesn't exist anymore. But if you've ever seen clips of a bunch of dudes in a trading pit with like technicolor jackets yelling at each other and furiously signing at each other, that's where my career started. And that's what I did for the first 10 years or so. Uh, we started ShipBob in 2014. Uh, I came on board right after uh, the team went through Y Combinator. And the goal of ShipBob at that time was to give the new generation of e-commerce merchants that were emerging a platform to be able to compete and meet customer expectations just as the biggest players in e-commerce were able to do. You know, if you're a big nine figures, 10 figure retailer, you can have multiple distribution centers and you can get your inventory close to customers. Well, you know, a, a Shopify store, a big commerce store, a Squarespace store that is doing really well still won't have the millions of dollars it takes to set up that type of infrastructure. So we did that really successfully at ShipBob. And I left the company about a year ago because it had become very clear to me uh, during the days of COVID when volumes jumped significantly. I remember in March 2020, maybe it was April, it was like April 8th or April 12th, when after like there was like a two week lockdown where everybody was kind of not sure of what was going to happen in the world next. And then everyone slowly started to come out of their house and get back to work. And there was a point like April 12th or April 16th of 2020, where our volumes hit our highest point that we had in peak season 2019. And it never looked back the rest of the year. That was an interesting moment for me because e-commerce, whether you were from our generation and had been ordering online since you were old enough to have a credit card, or you were my 71-year-old mother, uh, this was a trend that was going to be a part of the 21st century economy. And so much innovation has happened in e-commerce over the last 10 years, 12 years, since companies like Shopify have created mechanisms that allow anybody with an inspired idea to have a mature payment platform and a cool website up within two hours. And then on top of that, a whole ecosystem was formed of ERPs and agencies and billions and billions and billions of dollars of commerce. But at the end of the day, we're still doing fulfillment the same way that it was done 25 years ago. And so myself, uh, two of my co-founders who were also part of the ShipBob early team, Mike, we knew that we were in a unique position to reimagine what 21st century fulfillment should look like. And that's fulfillment that pairs world-class logistics with environmental and social responsibility. We were aware that there weren't too many people that had our experience on the planet. And if there were those people, they were likely in their you know second half of their 50s thinking about the condo in Hilton Head. They weren't thinking about, mm -hmm. hey, how do we solve a major problem in the supply chain? So... We got to work on what sustainable fulfillment looked like. We know what good fulfillment looked like, and we developed it with manifest.eco or manifest, uh, you know, a value proposition that was more boutique and geared toward merchants who sought a partner in the fulfillment and logistics side of their business. And not to get off topic from sustainability, but in our space, that's become somewhat of a lost art as traditional disruptors who had built out the last generation of fulfillment solutions got bigger and bigger and bigger. They forgot that for a lot of these merchants, it was so important to have a partner handling the physical side of their business, not just somebody who's providing a service. And so we made sure, and this is where Mike was really instrumental too, because he's been client facing from the very beginning. And we created a structure in which each and every one of our merchants would have a dedicated support system, meaning mm -hmm. that you're no longer merchant 233, 
you are your business. We understand your business and the person you interact with on the manifest side understands your business and the problems that you're talking about. And then on the sustainability side, which is our North Star, we don't have all the answers as of yet, but we have been able to build out some really interesting components that previously didn't exist. I think we were the first fulfillment center that I know of that has eliminated plastics completely from our fulfillment operation. Um, None of our packages go out with any plastics, at least from our point of the service. Uh, obviously products are plastic and we're not trying to solve that problem. That's, that's for someone else and other generations to decide. But what we can control is the act, that single use package that leaves our facility that has one purpose, which is to get the product from in transit from point A to point B. How do we green that? Because there are tens and millions of those packages that go out every day. And once they're delivered, they either get recycled, which we can talk about later as to why recycling is not as optimal as some people imagine it to be. Yeah. Or, and then it ends up in the dumpster. And that's the legacy that this generation of e-commerce will leave behind if we don't come up with a better solution. So we've eliminated plastics from the fulfillment process. All of our shipments are carbon neutral. We work with a wonderful partner called EcoCard to offset the carbon footprint in our fulfillment center activities, as well as the transit of each shipment. Uh, oftentimes these transactions are carbon or climate positive transactions because the merchant will also offset the carbon footprint and so will the merchant's customers, the people buying the products. But we're not going to hang our hat on just that because carbon offsets, as good as they are and as a positive effort that is to, to being res- environmentally responsible, we view it a little bit like buying indulgences from the Catholic <laughs> Church in the Middle Ages. Uh, It's not something that you can just do and claim that you're sustainable. You have to actually go further and go beyond that. And then thirdly, took a really long process, but we've sourced packaging tools, void fill that we believe are the best material to ship out packages with. They're either curbside recyclable and or biodegradable. We recently entered into a partnership with New Earth Project, which is a group of companies led by Atlantic Packaging looking to make sustainable packaging the standard. And then finally, I would say that one of the cool things that we do for merchants is we provide them with impact reports on a monthly basis. So Hmm. by working with Manifest Commerce, a lot of these brands are deciding that, hey, of course I want to be on the right side of history and do the right thing, but they also want need to build their business and they want to make it economical. And so what merchants are seeing more and more nowadays is that Consumers are voting with their wallet with brands that match their social and environmental ethos. So brands are consciously making the decision to take on ways to be more sustainable because that actually is in line with the values of the owners of the company, but also of the audience buying their products. And so we provide each and every one of our merchants with a sustainability report at the end of every month showing the impact that they've made by utilizing Manifest's fulfillment services. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing. I feel like I just got the Wikipedia version of Manifest Commerce. Oh, that was definitely the long, you got the long version. (laughs) (laughs) No, we want the details. This is great. I just don't know when to stop sometimes. (laughs) It's all good. What I heard is, so Manifest Commerce serves e-commerce merchants, right? Direct to consumer brands. And what I heard too was kind of three sustainability focus areas. One is eliminating plastic from the shipping supply chain. Second is carbon neutral or carbon positive through carbon credits. And the third is having all the supply materials be curbside 
recyclable or biodegradable. And we'll dig yeah, into all and, of these. Yep. And, and I would also add that this is a small step. And as we get bigger facilities, uh, Mike's been a big proponent internally of incorporating solar, but our current facility hmm. here in Buta, Texas is 80% powered by Texas wind power. So we've taken that step as oh, well. I love that. Yeah, I was going to ask why you decided to focus on the three areas. Obviously, there's so many pieces of operating a business that you can think about. For example, Kellogg's with the cereal brands, they're going to focus more on maybe soil health for their grains. And then, you know, Pepsi, who's a, more a beverage company, they'll focus on, you know, water stats. That sort of aligns with their customer base. I guess I'm similar lines maybe michael you can give us a picture of who y'all work with and like what's the end-to-end service that you provide um yeah and it'd be great to hear your background too yeah so i guess my background um actually before i joined uh, our previous company ship bob i was actually touring with musicians so i can't play for the life of me but i was doing the business side of things so i was on the road for a while i wanted to change and uh ended up bugging the team at Ship Bob, 2016, I think, or even before that. You still remind me that your interview with me at Ship Bob was the weirdest interview. That yeah, you it was. It was like five <laughs> minutes long, and he's like, "Yeah, you're good." And then I was like, "Oh my god, I'm not gonna get this job. This guy does not like me." It was five minutes long, and he's like, "I gotta go package stuff." And I guess I guess it worked out. I was there for five years. I was one of the first sales uh, individuals on board with Ship Bob, uh, and ended up helping them grow to where they are now. Um, you know, I left to pursue my own thing, and then George uh, kind of cornered me and talked to me about this, you know, new new mission that he was on, and it just made sense because I sold so many clients that weren't doing the the best things for the environment. Just a lot of you know chashki stuff being sent out, and like just like stuff that just you didn't really need. So having this ability to provide a more sustainable solution was really compelling. And I felt like I started seeing that a lot with some of the consulting clients I was working with. I started seeing some of our bigger brands that were inquiring about our services that I was helping them out with about how is your supply chain sustainable. So it was like the perfect timing that were like everything was coming together. I'm just like, this makes 100% sense to me to um, help pursue it. And I'm going to be the first to admit, like, I have a very basic foundation on a lot of the concepts and a lot of what's going on. And uh, like, every time I jump on a call, like clients school me. So it's good. It's good. It's good to see that because like, I'm just learning so much. And that's what fuels me to keep getting better. Um, In terms of like the merchants that we go for, it's very refreshing because everybody is receptive to the the mission into what we're doing. So you don't have to just be a sustainable or like a brand that that is seeking sustainability. We're having brands that maybe don't have that right now, that they're interested in in taking those right steps and steps where they can, you know, maybe pivot their packaging to more sustainable stuff. But like, this is like a stepping stone to that because we make it very simplistic. We handle all that, all the packaging and everything on the fulfillment side of things. And then, you know, outside of that, we're looking at ways that we can also either provide them with guidance or help them to even improve some of their internal sustainability practices as we continue to grow, you know, the the core functionality that we have. So clients come to us whenever you have a package delivered to your house, it's, it's delivered by a fulfillment provider, a 3PL. So manifest, we pick pack orders in a sustainable manner and, and ship them out to our customers. 
across the country and actually across the world. It's pretty awesome to see. <laughs> like, as if you're in the warehouse or in the holiday times, it's, it's like one of the most therapeutic things is just labeling packages and just like <laughs> seeing all, all these shipments go out. It's just going to continue to grow. I know I'd rather have something delivered, even though, you know, it's probably not the best, but I want to keep doing what I'm doing rather than go to the grocery store and buy something. So we just got to figure out how to make this, you know, more sustainable and, and continue to improve. Actually, do y'all know what the carbon impact is of online shopping versus buying in store? I did some digging. A lot of the sites were saying that online shopping is potentially better depending on the variables that go into it. So like depending on how many items you buy, how many times you like go to reach because like if you go to a bunch of different stores and you have to then return stuff to a bunch of different stores, mm. it's a lot different than if you are returning multiple packages to UPS to then return back to the facility. Like there's like right. so many different variables that go into it. My theory on that is like you have just so many stores, you have employees coming in every day, you have all the supply chain stuff that's going on versus you're sending your stuff to one, two, three facilities and then you're, you know, having these individual packages that are optimized and routed to your house seems a little bit more strategically sound than just the brick and mortars across the country that just has a ton of ton of waste. I would agree with that. Uh, when we started Manifest, we did a lot of research into that and whether there was a valid argument here. And I've seen studies both. I, you know, I was firmly convinced that e-commerce could be better than walking into a store. And then over time, I saw that walking into a store is better. And there's so many arguments on both sides, but at the end of the day, e-commerce logistics is here to stay. And so is in-store. How that mm -hmm. shakes out in the future in terms of percentage wise for the next 25 to 50 years, that's the way that the world is going to be. And so what we can control and where we operate in e-commerce logistics, it's not going to end any day soon. We're going to work to green that, embed sustainability into that part of the supply chain. So yeah, you can find statistics that one is more sustainable than the other, but you know we're just focusing on what we can focus on, which is e-commerce logistics. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it probably comes down to what you're buying, right? Like if you're buying clothes and going to a store, potentially very wasteful retail store where there's like all these clothes that are not getting bought, there's like all the lights, all the embedded energy for that store, it's probably, you know, more sustainable to buy online. But then with something like your weekly groceries, you know, maybe that makes more sense to house all the convenient foods in one place that are heavier to ship in the first place. During COVID, when I did have to order online because everything was closed, I was shocked when you would order something from the delivery service and every single thing came in its own packaging on mm -hmm. top of the packaging that the product was in. Yeah. There was a yeah. lot of like, you unpack everything and put it into the refrigerator in the cupboard and you're looking at all the <laughs> paper that was used to deliver it. You're like, holy smokes, that's not good. Yeah. I'm also going to guess, just like you said, that warehouses are a little bit more efficient in terms of the overall structure of like lighting and everything inside of it because it's really basic versus a retail store. There's just so much stuff that goes in that retail store that's just driven to make you want to buy more. I mean, look, think about all the marketing displays and everything like that's all mm. essentially used for a couple weeks thrown out. Mm -hmm. You don't have that with e-commerce. Let's talk about like what are some of the most wasteful parts of the supply chain process that you guys saw while at ShipBob. And you kind of touched on those, George, like the packing tape and the poly mailers and things like that, the excess of boxes. But what were kind of like the big areas you saw? Yeah, greening, ShipBob was so to pretty speak. responsible. This is not in any way exclusive to ShipBob. I mean, we tried to always do the right thing like a lot of businesses do. It's industry-wide. 
and your right chain. There's a lot of different variables that kind of feed into the wastefulness of e-commerce, but take something as simple as the plastic tape that's commonly used to package e-commerce orders. The compounds in that tape oftentimes take up to 500 years to biodegrade. In our early research, when I read that, I was blown away. I mean, think about how much history has occurred in the time that America has been a nation. Double that. And that's how long that one single use box, the tape to get that delivered from point A to point B will be on this planet. So for me, that was a call to action. That was a motivation to find a better solution there. Obviously, we talked about the packaging a lot of different ways, whether it's the plastic tape or the void fill, stuff like those like air bubble things, awful, awful, Mm. Uh, Mm -hmm. great products. They hold glass in place and products and, and the goods in place, but ultimately... They also put a lot of them in boxes and it's just like, doesn't do anything. Like I just got a shipment and I like had a whole string of them. I was like, this yeah. was a bag. This didn't yeah. need any of these. <laughs> like this wasn't going to break. Yeah. You, you get a tea tree oil and there's like eight air pillows in there. And you're like, WTF, why? Oh, th- so that's a good point as well is like sizing up the packages and making sure you have the right size box for the right size order. It's sometimes more difficult, but that's why being a more boutique company, like we want to make sure that our boxes are form fitting, not like exactly form fitting, but we're at least going and figuring out what is the, you know, when we have different order combinations coming in, we're figuring out what the best box is for that. And then of course, Jane, you have the transit, you have these packages loaded onto trucks, which take them to distribution centers, which take them on a plane or truck or train to another distribution centers. Then it gets on another truck where it's delivered to a regional office and from that regional office gets delivered to a local post office or facility. So the one saving grace of that approach is that you have volumes. You've got millions of packages. Okay, you have all these different components, but then you can justify it by saying, hey, there's just so many of them that we're actually being efficient. And there's an argument to be made there, but that certainly leaves a tax on the environment to get those packages from point A to its destination. And then it's like once it gets delivered, Not everybody recycles. Not everybody is educated to be like, hey, I'm going to take this box, put it in recycling, strip it down to a way that it actually will be recycled. I'm sure you know, Jane, and I know that you know, Mike, that only like 12 or 13, I don't know what the exact statistic is, so I don't want to be wrong on that. But it's under 25% of stuff that actually goes in the recycling bin gets recycled. And that's for a lot of different reasons, but mainly because it's like it gets put in the recycling bin with other compounds and components that are not recyclable. So instead of Mm. doing the hard decision, if you're the recycling plant of saying, let's just take labor, strip it down and take the components that work, they just say trash pile, recycle pile, Mm. trash pile, recycle pile. Uh, And so that leaves a footprint too, because when you take tens of millions and hundreds of millions of people and a certain percentage of them, let's call it 25%, don't recycle. So that automatically goes to the trash. Another 15% don't recycle with the correct education of of what it needs to actually get this product recycled. Uh, And so you're looking at very large numbers of just waste, waste that doesn't necessarily need to be and shouldn't be because uh, it all contributes to the legacy that when historians look back at our generation, They'll be like, wow, this explosion of e-commerce and online was fantastic, but they did it at what cost? Similar to how we look back today at like, cool that they built steel to build towers and bridges and build out the infrastructure of the country. But boy, that really left a tax on the uh, community and on Mm -hmm. the environment. We can get into that later with how we view like Amazon and things in, in terms of how they 
with the stress that they put on their supply chain. But it was very similar mm-hmm. 150 years ago during the Industrial Revolution. It's just a different form of it. Yeah, it's like our legacy is going to be what, like bubble wrap and packing tape. It's going to be like the remnants. I mean, Mike and I have had conversations with a wonderful company whose name escapes me right now. I think it's called Clean Hub in Germany that does plastic offsets, uh, mm-hmm. something that we'll be participating in. And we've kind of went through yeah. the presentation with them of the uh, the beaches in Southeast Asia that wash up with this plastic. We might as well just show those photos because it's it's disgusting. But what these uh, individuals do is you you commit to like every shipment is like a pound of plastics out of the ocean. And they have teams out there that verify that they're removed. And then what happens is there's uh, German-based companies that actually take the plastics and they create building concrete with those plastics. So it wow. actually is being reused in a very productive way to build you know different houses and, and whatever out there. I mean, something that was awesome, this has nothing to do with fulfillment, but like I was at Lollapalooza and they actually had like recyclable cups. So mm-hmm. instead of throwing out your cups, you're supposed to put it in another section. And then I believe that they went through a sanitation process and they used them on the next day. Oh, so I was cool. like, okay, that's pretty cool. So like in certain areas, you couldn't take the cups out. So instead of going through so many plastic cups of drinks, they were using this, you know, more sustainable, reusable cup that was then, you know, sanitized before the next day of, of the event. So um, I think we're going to see a lot more of that go into the, you know, events and in, in general to reduce how much waste, because we used to ship our garbage overseas. We don't have that anymore. So <laughs> right. we really need to start reusing. So, yeah, that's what gets me, me me excited. And I think us as a team, both examples, loops, circularity. I think that's the answer that in the 21st century is not that like, okay, something can be recycled and repurposed. Okay. That's one way. That's one way to do it. The more loops that I see where it's like zero waste because everything is reused for a future purpose. That's exciting. Yeah, that's super cool. I just ordered some skincare from Haley Bieber's new line. And okay. um, she uses these boxes. I think she partnered with Happy Returns and they have this service okay. called Books, where I think it's like it feels like plastic, the boxes and not cardboard, but you can return them to a FedEx and they'll bring them back and use it again up to 12 times. I haven't seen the carbon comparison of that versus like single use cardboard, but that seems like a cool example of that loop. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm familiar with that. I wonder what the impact is on that. I mean, that is interesting because that's one of the hardest things is, uh, well, in my personal opinion is to get somebody to return packaging. You yeah, because I mean? for it's me, so... I'm like, that's cool. But I also have to drive like 15 minutes to, to go drop it off. So is it worth the carbon emissions That's there? the other thing. I think it w- what would be interesting is if like more and more brands, like Haley Bieber is a great example because she's probably doing a lot of volume. So like a lot of customers are being exposed to this. That's kind of the mentality that we need is more kind of influences, higher volume doing that. So then people get used to it. And then now it becomes a routine. So like if you get five, six shipments, now you just save those and then return them all at the same time. Boom. That, that mm. makes it, you know, that automatically right. starts to, so I think it's just a trickle effect. Plus, I mean, there's no reason why FedEx and UPS can't just be like, Hey, just put it outside your doorstep. When we right. do like, you're going to get another delivery probably the same week. Like yeah. we'll just take it back and we'll just do it the same way. Exactly. I think what's the most innovative, I think you guys should work on this, but um, we have mailboxes in our email. We have an ingoing and outgoing. Why can't we do that for our physical mailboxes where you can put returns there, you can return your packaging, you know, where it's a pickup spot and not just drop off. Right. Like someone's got to figure that out. (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, you could do that with USPS, but obviously not packages. I think it just comes down to the fact yeah. that like UPS, FedEx require you to schedule. I think that now that just so many shipments are going out, like that's more of a plausible, especially in the city. I mean, where George lives, I'm, they get packages every day. There's no reason why there can't be like the same type of setup. In the suburbs, I mean, I get packages every day. You know, my family lives here. So yeah, that's an interesting concept. I always wanted to try to develop something like that where it was like a box you put like returns and that was safe that would be so crazy to try to get a ups or fedex to, to implement it's a fantastic idea jane and i think part of the reason why it hasn't happened yet is because who's gonna pay for it you know fedex and ups <laughs> that's, that's a good point <laughs> right. the labor to like divert from these tightly planned routes to then collect in an already full truck they would have to dedicate a separate truck that just mm. basically mirrors maybe when we get to think about that yeah, that, that kind of mirrors the route drop-off and picks up while it's dropping off. But to yeah. Mike's great point, which is we're getting to that mass, that level of adoption where the economics could make sense because so many people are ordering online that you could probably start to play with a model in which you do pickups in large, like 60-story buildings that house like four, 5,000 people, 3,000 people, mm-hmm. and play with that concept there and then scale it out to the broader population. I mean, if UPS or FedEx is listening, it doesn't have to be every day. It could literally be every Friday they come and pick up your returns mm-hmm. and your reusable packaging and then take it. You know what I mean? Like it could easily be like that or like. Yeah, it's like the new curbside recycling box. Instead of the recycling facility, it goes to the reusing facility. Mm, I love that. That might be more of a policy level thing, though. Yeah, I mean, and that's part of it. We talked a little bit about how like Haley Bieber's product is kind of coaching people to say like, oh, it is possible and I should expect it because it is an innovation that makes my purchase not as harmful as it probably would be using conventional methods to the environment. And taking that, I mean, we knew when we started Manifest that we were early in terms of building a sustainable 3PL. But the strategy is here to just show everybody how possible it is, how it can be done and create groundswell, both from the merchant side from the consumer side and from the fulfillment side that, hey, e-commerce needs to embed sustainability into how we conduct our business on all levels and that it's very possible. When we pick partners like Happy Returns, we're closely partnered with Happy Returns. We Mm -hmm. take great care into figuring, okay, how do they also fit into this mission of Manifest, which is to green e-commerce into a predominantly or hopefully predominantly sustainable industry? I'm curious, why is not everything biodegradable or compostable? Is it like a cost thing? Is it the bottleneck of cities don't have compost facilities? It's kind of a combination of both. I mean, the packaging definitely is a little bit more expensive. When you're talking with brands, maybe five years ago, sustainability wasn't the number one focus. Now it's become more gradually up on the list where they don't want to do a poly mailer, which is a you know regular plastic mailer. They want something that's a little bit more sustainable. But yeah, you're, you're right about the compostability is a lot of regions don't have the ability to compost the actual items. I think New York's the first one to start doing that in the US. So compostable sounds cool, but people don't have access to a compost or may not understand if you throw it into the trash. The broader trash collection is not a compost. Uh, so right. education <laughs> is a big part in this endeavor. Boston just rolled out a curbside compost program that I'm so stoked about. Yeah, it's food scraps. And I think you can put biodegradable packaging in there, too. That's Um, good. Yeah, I learned that, yeah, biodegradable doesn't always mean what you think it does. There's this oxy biodegradable plastic. But what that means is it's only degradable under high pressure, like 
oxygenated environment. So you need like a special facility. For <laughs> so that. you need a completely like. <laughs> So it's like um, I, not know, actually degradable. We need to get our friend on your podcast and you can nerd out about packaging like and he'll he'll school you like no other. Uh their company's eco packables. Okay. They actually innovate their packaging. So like they produce it. They're not just like the middle people. Definitely worth a conversation. We'll make an intro after this. Love it. That'd yeah. be great. I do want to get your guys' take on some of these future of logistics ideas that have come <laughs> up. So there are really cool looking platforms like Provenance that are using blockchain for supply chain traceability. Is that kind of on y'all's radar at all? What do you think about that? Yeah, 100%. When we think about the future of our value proposition, it will include blockchain from the point in which materials are being sourced to produce the product to the time that it gets produced in the factory and then it gets put on truck to be shipped from wherever it's manufactured to the United States. We work with a software provider. Our WMS is run on a software provider that already has incorporated blockchain into it. We're not utilizing it to its full potential at the moment, but that's because you know we're still building the business and first things first, but it's definitely been on our radar and something that we plan on uh, giving more attention to as time goes on and saying, okay, well, if we can work with merchants and validate that every step in their supply chain from manufacturing to the moment that it was shipped was is sustainable, well, that's something that their audience and, and, and their fans who buy their products should know about. And I think that would be a value add if we could accomplish that. Where I see blockchain really impacting it is from the point that you start the production to the end customer, because then you could trace it straight back to the source. Knock on wood, something happens where there's a contamination of a certain food product. You know exactly all orders that were impacted. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, right now, even though we're using the blockchain, you know, it's just a source of truth right now. You know, I think a lot of the numbers that are thrown around are still, they're quite accurate, but it's still estimates because there's just so much that goes into production to shipping, to sending it to a warehouse. But we're we're making the right steps and there is some cool exciting companies in that space that are trying to make that fully traceable this might be a dumb question but why blockchain like why not just put all that information in a regular database yeah that's a great question i mean it goes to why blockchain exists it's a ledger of truth and a source of truth that can't be manipulated because it's all well, i guess I'm not too sure if it can't be manipulated, but I guess an example of blockchain that I can see is like authentication of like products. So you know it's an authentic mm -hmm. product instead of getting a counterfeit product. Stuff like that would allow, there's no manipulation across the entire blockchain that could produce that. With the decentralized ledger, it's kind of hard to mess with the numbers and say that you are sustainable if all the numbers come back on the blockchain. You know what I mean? Like if you're able to validate that on the blockchain is, you know, able to be seen. I think that's the most compelling part about the blockchain in general is it's almost like your authentication. Because I mean, you could buy, a, I don't know, a Louis Vuitton purse on eBay and it could mm -hmm. be potentially fraudulent. Just the same way as if you bought something that's sustainable, like you want to make sure that it really is. Once you get that validation, that impenetrable validation, because it's secured in the blockchain, companies that are forward thinking and taking the responsible steps, it's an easy way to validate things. And this doesn't exist today, at least not in large part, but like tax benefits that could actually be like, okay, this business has combined environmental responsibility with making a profit they qualify for tax benefit. Another way for a government, you were talking about policy earlier, Jane, to chicken and egg or carrot and stick, whatever you want to call it, to incentivize businesses to take these steps. So blockchain could feed carrot into that stick. validation in the future, which now is like, okay, 
verified in blockchain, they qualify X amount of benefit that policy has has pushed or passed to encourage the country to move in the direction that it needs to move. Really, we're going to be launching NFTs very soon. It's going to be the manifest. No, I'm, I'm just playing. That's not, that's not. But a cool thing would be is like any sustainability, like little icon. Like, mm-hmm. how do you know that they're actually that? If you actually mm-hmm. issue that on the blockchain, you could actually trace it back and be like, okay, this was actually issued to XYZ company for this purpose. So yeah. I'm not saying that there's companies out there that are like putting it on the site, but I think as it becomes more common to look for that, you're going to have the bad culprits and like having that blockchain potential for validation is, is pretty interesting. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point around certifications and like verifying the logo is real because you can also write marketing claims that sound like they're like the yep. organic or natural or whatever. So having that on a ledger makes sense. I feel like there's so much more we could dig into, but I guess in closing, I would love to hear from you both. What's one innovation that you're following in this space that you're really excited about? Ooh, that's such a great question. Ooh. Well, there's two that come to mind immediately. They're actually both partners of ours, but one is a, a marketplace called Circular. Circular is a, a sustainable marketplace that works with brands selling sustainable products. Essentially think Amazon with products that are either products are either sustainable or the brands selling on that marketplace are sustainable. And, and they have a fantastic validation process and you know, Manifest is involved in the logistics on the back end of it, not for every merchant, but for merchants that need sustainable logistics to complement their sustainable product and being in a sustainable marketplace. That to me is like a pretty cool loop. And then the other one is Atlantic Packaging with the New Earth Project. One of the cool things they do, we just talked about, which is kind of like a branding, an official certification on each box with a New Earth logo saying that, Mm -hmm. hey, this has been validated to be produced sustainably in line with the environmental goals that, that the brands who are buying these boxes or the companies and 3PLs that are working with us. So the New Earth Project is something I'm super excited about. The gentleman who runs it, Don, has been a big help and an inspiration to us. And then also Atlantic Packaging has a wonderful person as their chief sustainability officer named Caroline James, who I've learned a lot from. I love the work that they're doing and they stand out to me as two companies doing interesting things in the space right now. I was going to actually say that Atlantic Packaging, like being one of bigger packaging suppliers and what they're going to be doing in sustainability. And the fact that they have a focus on that is is intriguing because there's a lot of advancement that we could do on the packaging. Something that's more cliche is like, I'm very interested to see how the delivery vehicles advance. You hear kind of the the PR, like UPS bought XYZ electric vehicles. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen any of them by me, so I don't know where they're at. (laughs) Um, But I know like Lions Electric is making some cool box trucks for like, you know, short-term deliveries, pretty well advanced. So it's going to be interesting to see how the actual last mile becomes a little bit more sustainable because that is a big portion of the supply chain that is very not green. (laughs) So (laughs) like how can we make, but also I, I feel like some of the distances, you know, obviously UPS driver goes so far that like it needs to be very effective so and plus i don't know what the full strain on the electric system is for charging these things but Mm -hmm. i would imagine there's you know some way to offset that either with solar or something like that but it's very interesting to follow along with that and see you know who's producing the more commercial electric vehicles or whatever the next generation of uh, sustainability is there i mean they're gonna have to figure something out if california banned gas car sales in 20 35 or something like what are they going to do you know there's going to have something going on over there uh for delivery 
also, I want to uh, add one more step in is exciting. It's a virtual ecosystem or a virtual world, S-T-E-P-N. One, love what the company is doing is encouraging people, especially younger millennials, to get out and incentivizing them to and exercise. Blockchain. Yeah, also blockchain. They offset a ton, like half a million dollars a month or something like that. I, I'd have to look back into it. But also now that the marketplace, now the ecosystem has become so popular, they're going to be adding on physical products to the, to the people participating in this virtual Web3 world. And sustainability is front and center when, when it comes to the fulfillment of these products and to the participants in their ecosystem. So Stepin is really cool. So you weren't far off. They've committed 100000 monthly towards carbon removal as part of their Earth Day goal. And this is a Web3 company. So it's it's an NFT-driven marketplace. But it, it, the interesting part about that is, it, like George said, it gets you out and about. So like, get stepping. You get out, you get exercise. <laughs> I like that. It doesn't have to do with fulfillment per se, but like it's interesting to see brands like that take those initiatives and take it seriously. Yeah. And they put it into their foundation. I think step in yeah. even they've grown so fast, but I think they launched like December of last year. So yep. this is a company that embedded sustainability into their foundation, knowing that it takes mm. servers and kilowatts and all this other stuff to power this ecosystem. They're like, you know what? We're going to be proactive in mitigating the emissions or the energy that it takes from the planet by giving back. I, I just think what they do is super cool. I feel like we're just like capturing the tip of the iceberg of all this stuff. And so many cool stuff is about to come down the road from you guys, from all the players you mentioned. It takes a community, honestly. It's really just building the community and continue to grow it because that's just going to advance the innovation that we can see in this market. Yeah. Uh, our website is manifest.eco. My email address is george at manifest.eco. And I don't know if Mike wants to give out his, but uh, I'm always open oh. to it. <laughs> Gatekeeping. Everybody email George and then George will forward to me. No, <laughs> no mine, is, mine is just Michael at manifest.eco. Love it. All right. Thank you so much, guys. It's been so much fun. Thank you. Thank you, Jane. And that's a wrap. Thank you so much for tuning in. Remember to nourish your body and I'll talk to you next time.